<laughs> okay, and it seems that we are going live. Let me just get the confirmation from Mary on backstage that we are actually live before I welcome the community. Hope that you are already joining at home, at office, or just walking and listening us. And we are officially live. So welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to share their scaling up journeys with you. So we try to compress all the scaling up lessons to scale a company from 2 million to 100 million ARR. As you know, we bring some of the best tech leaders on the perspective of the CEO, the CTO, the chief product officer, the chief people officer, the CFO, et cetera, et cetera. And we are setting up a new series to also have the perspective of the investors in the scaling up journey. That's why we invited AXA uh, Strategic Ventures, Faraday Venture Partners, Capnemic Ventures. And we have the pleasure today of hosting a person that I admire a lot and that has been helping a lot myself to educate also about this industry is uh, Chris Wade, the co-founder and partner at Isomer Capital. And I'm really, really honored to host you on the show. Welcome, Chris. Great, great to be here. So let, let's start by delighting our guests uh, and, and our audience uh, by having our special guests describing a little bit of your career. We would not have an entire podcast to cover it, but just a, a briefing about how you end leading, founding and leading Isomer Capital. Yes. Well, I'm a technologist. Um, I um, started in the, the days when telecommunications was going digital. It's that long ago. Um, and that was a revolution that changed the world. Uh, the idea that one would have not just a telephone in your home or in your office, but you would have a data line and that you could do teleconferencing, um, you could do emails, you could do computing, and it's a long time ago before that, but that's the world that I started and uh, worked uh, mostly with North American companies. North American companies led the world in this type of technology um, and uh, discovered many really important lessons about marketing, about technology, yeah, product development. Um, and then after that, became an entrepreneur, um, uh, had the opportunity to build my own companies uh, in Cambridge in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, at a time when entrepreneurship was new in Europe, at a time when um, this was uh, the, the, the late 90s, where uh, very few people were serial entrepreneurs. So there were very few people to ask, um, right. what do you do about this? Uh, how do you do cash management? How, you know, what, how, how do you match sort of objectives to cash management, et cetera, et cetera? Mm -hmm. um, and to be frank, we sort of made it up as we went along. Um, uh, in the end, after many mistakes and uh, many uh, difficulties, um, we uh, successfully exited the company. Um, and I then have done uh, and many, many board roles and angel investments, uh, spent two years and where, uh, Miguel, I think we met you, um, where I was working for the UK uh, government as the chief sort of salesperson for um, 
um, for, for UK technology, discovered a remarkable thing, and that is Europe had got some amazing um, entrepreneurs who had become VCs. Um, and I really was fascinated by that uh, industry and by that uh, evolution. And I noticed a really important thing, that they really struggled to raise capital. Um, and it is the reason that actually European venture capital is mostly sponsored by European governments. Um, and that led to the creation of Isomer Capital. Isomer Capital is investing in amazing new and early stage VCs around the whole of Europe, of which there are over 600 today. Um, we see about 200 of them every single year. And we've invested in 23 so far um, because of the uniqueness, because of the dynamism, because of the entrepreneurial nature um, of those VCs. That's a, an amazing story. Uh, are you able to share some of uh, some names of, of those VCs or is, is it confidential? No, it's not confidential. Um, I can share some. So we backed um, the funds of Entrepreneur First, um, Connect Ventures, Bonsai Partners. Um, we've backed um, uh, the Hardware Club in, in, in Paris. We've backed uh, Karma Ventures in Estonia, Brightly in Sweden, um, Buy Founders in Denmark. Atlantic Labs in in Germany, and I stop because then I'm breaching all the confidentiality. But you get the idea that we Absolutely. have covered the whole of Europe um, with these investments. We regard VCs as a as a way of actually creating a network um, across the whole of Europe. Got it. And this is something also interesting and uh, also preparing for some of the questions that we will discuss in, in the show today. Uh, you also invest in the portfolio companies of those yeah. VCs. So if you can explain, because I'm sure that the community is very uh, educated about the VC industry, but not so much about the funds who invest in VC or the right. LP right. Uh, funds. Yeah. So if you can just explain well, how, this is, how is it possible? Uh, Sure. So, look, we right from the very beginning uh, of Isomer had this fundamental uh, uh, belief and, and indeed fact. Um, VCs don't make money. Companies make money. So we wanted to have a program that would give the, the VCs the maximum chance to be successful with those companies. And so we, we saved about 20% of our fund to do opportunistic investments, uh, both primary and secondary, into companies um, that our VC portfolio invited us to. So um, we have, there are many reasons that a VC might want to invite us. Um, they're at the end of their fund and they want to continue to back a company and they don't have the capital. The company might be raising a very significant round and need help um, with the amount of money. Um, but the real fundamental reason is it forces us to be close to the underlying asset, to be close to the companies. And that's where we create real value. We have an amazing set of investors in us 
who are corporates who are looking to make investments in European companies. And we have to know all those companies to be able to, to help and facilitate and engage and provide insight to those um, LPs to invest in Europeans. So it's kind of a, a very nice symbiotic sort of relationship with the VC. Tell us about your companies, give us the data, and we'll support you when, when you need us to. That's awesome. So, and uh, what, what are uh, the most important investment criteria or the metrics or the components that gets you excited about an investment in a company or in a VC fund? Well, you know, actually, they aren't that different. Um, <laughs> um, Interesting. Just similar in, in, in some ways. Um, you know, uh, they can be very broadly described as um, uh, do you have a really, truly aspirational team um, translated into the fund means can you develop a really high returning fund translated to the company? Can you build a very valuable company? Of course, the two are connected. Um, second point is how are you going to win? If you're a fund, I want to be able to understand, we want to be able to understand that you are going to excite and motivate and provide a huge amount of inspiration to the very best entrepreneurs in Europe. Because if you don't get into the best entrepreneurs, you won't create the fund returns that you want. So therefore, I need to understand how are you going to be that inspirational VC and get into the best deals on the company side, why are you going to win? Why is your company going to win in the specific product sector service that you've chosen? And that's the really key thing here. That's amazing. Sorry, I'm taking notes as I do the podcast. I can also <laughs> listen it afterwards as well. So it's really a privilege to, to conduct these this conversations. And do you have any case, we are nowadays in the past, as we were saying, uh, some teams were struggling to, to raise funds and we are now in a moment uh, that liquidity is, is much better. And we might, uh, as you said, you want also to listen or to understand how the funds will get to invest in the best entrepreneurs out there. And the best entrepreneurs out there can select who are the investors that they will work uh, with. So, and of course, again, the VCs also want to select and also want to work with the best invest, uh, founders possible. So it's it's a kind of very good relationship. So how do you what do you have any story of a company or a fund that was really really difficult to get in and then you ended uh, getting in? <laughs> um, it's. I don't know whether it's still a secret or not, or even just not very well known that um, four of the six Skype founders were Estonian. Mm -hmm. uh, they were the engineering team. Um, and of course, they were very successful when Skype was uh, sold uh, to eBay originally. And they decided to create a a fund called Ambient Sounds in Estonia, in Tallinn, to invest in stuff that interested these remarkably talented engineers, um, um, just phenomenal people. Um, 
And they suddenly discovered they'd got 30 investments um, that required follow-ons. And so basically they asked um, a couple of their colleagues to come and run the fund. They did this for eight years um, and they got it into a very good success. And three years ago, they decided, well, actually we kind of become quite good at this VC fundraising business. Um, and, and managing the portfolio, let's create a fund. And that was the creation of Karma Ventures. So amazing pedigree of Skype founder background, amazing eight-year period where the VC managers have become very professional. Here's the challenge. We met them when they had closed their fund. They had reached their, their, their cap. They'd reached their... Um, <laughs> capacity they couldn't invest anymore and I was really unhappy about that because I felt this was an amazing team Estonia had all these incredible successes of um, you know of, of, of these amazing uh, companies uh, like transferwise like um, pipe drive um, like starship etc etc these amazing companies and I just said you know, Isama needs to be in this fund. How the hell are we going to do this? And we just kept meeting with them. Luckily, I was on the board of a company called Funderbeam. So I was visiting them quite frequently. Um, and I went and knocked on the door, knocked on the door, kept knocking on the door. And eventually they said, Chris, um, if you stop knocking on our door, um, uh, we'll let you invest and we'll increase the... Um, um, we'll increase the uh, the amount that we're allowed to invest and we'll let you in. And it has been a perfect relationship then. And that's an example where investors, whether you're a fund of funds, whether you're a VC, and of course the entrepreneur needs to be entrepreneurial. Find a way, as I call it, find a way through the rocks to be successful. Um, and and that's and that to me is what our business is about. You know, people probably think funder funds is about sitting in a white office somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the middle of some city place, um, waiting for people to come in. Well, of course we do that, but actually to go get in the best deals, we have to go out and find them. That's a that's an amazing explanation. Thank you so much for that, Chris. And so let, let's get a little bit more on the operator uh, at, uh, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, also always in the perspective of the investor now, um, because usually in, in the regular podcast we cover a lot the operator side. So, which is also a little bit the position that I that I do, but not as an investor, uh, as a coach. And so, how do we support? the portfolio to scale up? How do we support the founders and the leadership team to keep evolving and get to, to their dreams? And of course, in your case, how can you also help your VCs to help their operators, their founders to, to get there? And let's introduce the Rockefeller habits. So for the ones who are listening to us for the first time, the Rockefeller habits are a set of very simple principles that John Rockefeller, one of the most successful businessmen in the history of the US, has uh, applied to create his own empire. Um, and those principles are very easy. You can Google or go to our website at scaleupfather.com and we'll cover the first free and leverage the experience of Chris uh, supporting uh, those companies and those VCs. 
The first one is the executive team is healthy and aligned. And I like to say that the leadership team and the CEO and the founders need to have a, a version one, a version two, a version three of themselves in this scaling up journey. And we were even uh, um, joking before we start that I also have, I'm having my own uh, versions of myself. And uh, Chris, this is this is can be very difficult as we know in a lot of articles, in a lot of conversations with founders, uh, letting go people and even letting go some of our personalities that are not able to get us to get to the next stage of the company is very easy to understand theoretical, but very difficult to help those founders go through uh, this identity crisis, I would say, uh, this self-belief crisis. So how do you help them and how do you think this is really relevant to become a new version of, of ourselves as we scale? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, well, what I can say is, is um, what we do, um, both at the fund level and at the company level, we collect a lot of data, which may sound a, a rather boring answer to a, <laughs> a very emotionally, a very um, EQ type sort of question. Look, the point about this is that the road to success in a VC and the road to success in a company is completely uncharted because you're trying to do something new, something imaginative, and you just don't know what obstacles are going to be in the way. So the reason we like to collect data, in this case, data might be, what are your plans? What are your ambitions? What are your objectives? How are you going to build the fund? How are you going to build your company? And then come and ask that question again in three months' time and just collect the answers, collect um the, 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 the views and facts. And what are we actually looking for here? We're looking not for a person that says on January 1, we are going to do 20 million of revenue. We're going to hire 200 people. And if that is not done by December the 31st, then we should fire the person. What we're interested in, the person that navigates through the rocks because for sure there will be rocks and we're looking for someone who says, look, when, when we meet in March, they'll say, well, that was our objective, but you know what happened? Uh, our number one competitor got a hundred million investment and they are, have stolen two of my top salespeople. And, and um, you know, they have poured a lot of money into product, but here, and this is the critical bit, here's what we're going to do about it. And that's what we're there for. And our real point is just to try and help that through. Um, I built companies in the 90s where VCs were essentially how much money board meeting consisted of, how much money have you spent, um, how much money have you generated, not good enough, try hard, others will fire you. That was the board meeting. Wow. This <laughs> is unhelpful. Um, uh, this is not to say eventually that you might come to a decision that uh, the company or the fund even, which is a more difficult point, um, may be better handled by someone else. But our objective in terms of a regular data collection is that this is a mutual consensus. This is a mutual 
decision that actually this is the, not the best way forward um, as as it is. But this is no re there's no recipe for this. This is a very difficult thing that people do. They're creating new things, new ideas, new companies with with always very significant competition, incomplete data, incomplete teams, not enough resource. This is the daily life of 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 startups. Even in even in scale ups, there's a continual bar. You know, we've invested in a amazing company in Austria called Tor Radar. Um, <laughs> We did sue through Hoxton Ventures. They, they have been in the podcast as well. Oh, fantastic. They're, they're great, uh, great, great entrepreneurs. And, you know, um, they, they are doing remarkably well. They're doing fantastically well. But, but what do we talk about? We don't talk about success. We talk about the challenges. And there's always challenges. And that's a company that is doing hundreds of millions of GVM, um, you know, a month and, and really in great, great shape. So it's about being this coach, but a coach that has memory. I guess that's how I would describe it because you need to say, hey, when we last talked, we thought about this and we thought about these things and we, we were going to consider these things. Um, it is the case that when when you see a significant amount of stress in teams there is a absence of of that memory in the team itself and that's a worry because they're beginning to sort of try and thrash around on the on the moment to try and make make things happen and then that becomes a worry on many many levels perfect very very interesting and Uh, in the SaaS world, Jason Lemkin talks a lot uh, about this in his famous uh, tweets and his famous conference, Saster, uh, about the importance of bringing in uh, VCs and how much easier it, it can make the life of, of the CEO, uh, scaling up the company. And they sometimes like to say that if you hire one right VP or two right VPs, Uh, you can really free up yourself a lot and, and see the results of your company uh, going up. And usually it talks a lot about also about a key position, which is the VP of sales for each stage of growth from two to five, five to 10, 10 to 20. What do you think from your experience were the most difficult positions to hire in the leadership team? Oh, the most you, difficult? You've, already, you've already nailed it. it it's the, <laughs> the VP commercial. Got it. You know, um, it's an interesting thing. Um, a, a really good commercial salesperson um, is the person that wants to, is driven. Uh, we uh, Americans have this interesting expression for it called coin-operated, um, which means they are completely driven by money. And so, therefore, the very best will only go into companies where they assess they can actually make money. Um, and what does that mean? That means, well, that there is a defined product. There is a good product market fit. There are existing customers you can reference. There's the beginnings of a sales team that you can start to build. And actually, there is the fundamental building blocks 
of being able to build a business. The bad um, uh, commercial sales guys will go into companies and pretend to do those things, and half of them aren't there. <laughs> so there are countless cases of where um, startups have hired what they thought was a was a rocket star of a salesperson, and it was too early, absolutely too early, and the wrong person. So the turnover of that role is 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 very significant. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that in the early days of companies, the founder, um, the CEO slash founder, is the chief salesperson. They do <laughs> most of the most of the work, most of the um, um, most of the sales, and then you perhaps bring in a slight, initially you bring people to support the CEO in, and it is only when you really have defined your customer um, proposition and your product market fit that you actually start sort of scaling it. But without doubt, this is the most difficult thing to get right, and it varies from country to country. Um, People forget that, you know, sort of um, the U.S. is very different from Europe. Europe is actually a whole bunch of countries. Um, Asia is a whole bunch of countries and, and, and with its own difficulties um, as well. So this is, this is really, really hard and, and actually really thinking through and, and not being seduced to hire um, some big corporate sales guy because it looks fantastic, this sort of hero hire that you've got. Um, uh, almost invariably, in my limited experience, actually ends in failure. That's, that's an amazing point. And we never talk about the next question, which is what is, what is the second most difficult VP to hire? <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a, I mean, you know, the, uh, it will depend on the company. <laughs> it will depend, it will, um, depend um, on the company. You know, there's, there's a, there's a theme that rides through all this, which is really is, can you find people that know what good looks like in a big company and the kind of company you want to aspire to? Mm -hmm. but equally is prepared to work in a startup where they don't have resources and don't. And that's the, that's the thing that makes it really, really difficult. Uh, I mean, when we were building companies in the late nineties in, in, in Cambridge, nobody knew all this, but it was just an obvious thing to go hire the sort of salespeople from the big companies. And, and, and it largely failed. It, it, it largely um, was, uh, was a mistake. Amazing. So let's move to the Rockefeller habit number two, which is everyone is aligned with the number one thing that needs to be accomplished this quarter to move the company mm. forward. Mm. Very easy again to, to say, but uh, is it a geo? Is it a business unit? Is it mid-market? Is it enterprise? What is the vertical? Uh, what is our product strategy? What is our mold? Uh, what is our competitive advantage? Uh, all of these questions seem very old school, very boring, and it seems that we are losing a lot of time in our offsites and board meetings and OPRs and so on. But actually, this subtraction exercise, which is getting out of the way everything that is distracting us and really defining one big thing for the quarter that will fit the one-year goals, the three-year goals, and the big area of this goal, 
is easy to say, but very su super, super difficult to find out what is the next big thing. So, and of course, since the 90s, uh, you have been through it uh, yourself and you have been through it, uh, the role of many founders and many VCs trying to help those founders. So what are typically the main questions, the main challenges in terms of strategy to find yeah. this yeah. next big rock? Um, I think actually it's quite simple to say and extremely difficult to do. Um, uh, I, I, uh, and it took me um, probably um, 10, 15 million dollars of poor uh, early VC money um, in Europe to, for me to understand this, this point. And that is this, you are building a company with, in most cases, not all, but in most cases with venture capital money to achieve a very specific purpose before you run out of money. Um, let's just not complicate it and assume that you don't have a profitable business, etc. but assume you have to get somewhere. And that religious focus on those things that will unlock the next stage of capital must and have to be the fundamental criteria. What I learned the hard way as I was making my conversion from, from uh, 15 years in technology corporates in North America to startup land in Cambridge, UK, is cash is king. And cash is just the thing. Without it, you fail. You go insolvent. So, so unless you're lucky enough to have a business that just generates lots of cash, and there are those around that do that, most don't in the venture capital space, religious focus on that and continuous checking that your assumptions about those goals that will generate either capital from your same investors or capital from the next stage of investors is correct because VCs change their minds. I'm sorry to have to say this for the first time ever, on one of your podcasts, <laughs> but change their minds. Um, and that might be because of their own LPs or that might be because of um, some macro environment um, thing that actually has changed their investment thesis or changed their attitude to risk, et cetera, et cetera, or some big difficulty in another portfolio company means they can't put so much money. All those things are all possible. So focusing on what is going to unlock the next source of capital is the fundamental thing that all entrepreneurs must focus on. Um, and of course, that needs to be about building a, a business. Um, you know, we're not just in it for the exercise of, of, of using venture capital money. And Therefore, you know, this is a, this is a really easy thing to say, but a difficult thing to achieve. How are you going to build this business that you want to be part of? Um, you know, you don't want to kill yourself and, 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 and having achieved these objectives just to have the opportunity to run that marathon run again with, with new capital. So, so building something that continues to be 
of interest and value to you and your team is absolutely critical. Very, very good points. You made me think about a lot of conversations. And, and you also touched one of the most important topics of uh, scaling up, of course, assuring that you have the right people on the right seats, focused on the right priorities. And we will discuss later executing well uh, with the in, enough fuel to get to the next milestone is critical and you introduced the fuel and, and the cash component of that. And I would like just to compliment before going to Rockefeller habit number three and anticipate some of the questions around cash. Uh, if you agree with um, the ARR uh, growth rate that uh, Christoph Jens from Point Nine Capital proposes in his own uh, SaaS napkin, which is usually 2.5 to 3x, depending on seed series A and series B. I think that the 2017 uh, edition has series C, but now he has removed it. Um, so what do you think about the, that growth rate? I'm, I'm having a lot of discussions about this. Also, the rule that we discussed in the beginning, which is the uh, triple, twice, double, uh, yeah. three times. So can you put this in context? How much does it happen? We know very few times, but how much is this important to raise the next round? So I don't think uh, that is the recipe for all companies. Okay. I think that's a recipe for certain types of companies. If you are building... Um, you know, some very valuable technology. I'm working privately with a company that has the ability or hopes to have the ability to generate the next generation of GPS algorithms. It's probably going to take another three to four years, and they've been at this two years, before the licensing method and process actually starts to generate sort of revenue. If you are in... A, and, and the world that they live in, the, 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 you know, the big, big people that make semiconductors for, for mobile phones and, and, and devices live in this very long cycle of, of, of product development. And yet, so, so that kind of metric is completely inappropriate. If you are building, um, you know, a mobile school scooter renting business, if you are building the next Airbnb, if you are building something that is highly consumer and your competitors, and there's the key, your competitors are growing at the rates you suggested, then you need to do the same. You need to be perceived as the leader. So these kind of metrics that you, you, you're talking about are extremely useful for like-minded companies um, to try and see what they're what they're, they're they're based in. You know, what is venture capital trying to do? It's trying to build a really successful business that actually ultimately can be of value either through an IPO market or more likely into MA. And let's think about MA for a second. So I don't think we talk about MA. No. So every single major corporation that does M&A will only buy typically one company of a very, that very specific. So I think about them as slots. So, it, you know, the companies 
that 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 acquire acquire them actually will only buy one type of company to fit this slot. So if you're number two or three, then you've missed it. And you may never sell. So this notion of a race, this notion of a race to be the best and to be the most successful is actually critical from an exit point of view um, as well. And also we saw, for instance, uh, Cabify versus Uber versus Grab versus Ola. Right, uh, right. Versus uh, Korean, I think, in Middle East. And following geographical uh, strategies, which is to go to the markets where the leader is not and putting a lot of efforts to be the leaders in that market and then sell to the incumbent. Um, this is another option. It isn't, it's another option, but yeah. if there are two local, um, uh, two local uh, companies, you need to be number one. Got it. Correct. Um, we go again. That's the same thesis. <laughs> yeah, it's the same, same, same thesis. Absolutely. Right. I mean, there's no, there's no law of fundamental physics that says that big companies buy small companies. They buy the best and only the best. So what what you are saying is again, uh, this is the goal. So we need to be very aggressive to be the category leaders and to be the number one for. A potential exit via yep. an yep. exit and the corporate will only buy who is the winner of the category uh, to mitigate risk or to leverage an opportunity and ipo you would need a certain amount yeah. of revenue uh, to be yes able to uh, i mean uh, well i critically i would i would just clarify for who they perceive to be the category leader they don't always get it right got it <laughs> Very good point. Another gem of, of this podcast. And let's go to number three before closing uh, the show, uh, which is communication rhythm is established and information moves through organization accurately and quickly. So this is all about having a rhythm and making the hard decisions, not being overwhelmed by a lot of decisions. The CEO needs to be able to delegate and just take the strategic ones let the team take make the the rest of them uh how important do you think are rhythms from your experience uh in the companies and how much do you recommend all of this trend that we are living now okrs dailies weeklies monthlies quarterlies so how 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 do you think this is really really important to have this culture and this cadence of accountability uh for the companies to progress what is your opinion well it slightly depends um, on the company, but I want to turn it to a sporting analogy for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, we all support our favorite rugby team or our favorite football team, and we will all have experienced that exactly the same players can be very successful on the field on one occasion and a disaster the next time. Right. Players are exactly the same. Uh, one occasion, uh, they play very badly, uh, next time they play very well. And thinking about, well, why is that? It's because something psychologically, something mentally, something upsets the team, something disturbs the balance. Um, and it isn't just because they might be against a better side. 
you physically start playing bad. So I think the role of the CEO and his or her management team is about keeping that cultural positivity about what they're trying to achieve and reminding people what they're trying to achieve. You know, the best type of people to hire in an entrepreneurial business is more entrepreneurs. And that's amazing. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. The problem is they're entrepreneurs, right? They, they want to go off in different directions. And, you know, and the, the real challenge is sometimes that's amazing. And they create new businesses or new ideas that, that the current management team never thought of. Or they could have just burnt a whole bunch of time and they could have burnt a whole bunch of, of, of opportunity cost as well. So I see, I see the, the management very much as a, a coach. How are you doing? Is it okay? Is this working out? Is what's, how can we help? How do we move this forward? How do we solve this problem? How do we, how do, how do we, Hey, I had an idea. Why don't we go and see together this person, that per, just this team. Now, of course this becomes more difficult when you have hundreds of people um, in the business. I know in my own company, um, when we had 30 people, you knew everybody's first name you knew, and there was no confusion because there were 30 names that weren't too similar. Um, and, 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 and it was beautiful. And then you have to learn these, these, um, these difficulties. The key thing about, I'm not going to say that, that, that using metrics and, and performance data is right or wrong. But what I am going to say is there needs to be the voiceover that says, why are we doing this? We all sell to humans. We are all humans. And therefore, there needs to be a cause for action. There needs to be a cause to make you feel positive about creating um, this amazing company. You know, my cause in Isomer Capital <laughs> is I want to fund the very best European early stage VCs. And we want to give them more capital to be more successful and to be more dynamic and to build the next generation of global companies that Europe has all the capacity to do so. That is my reason for being. My KPR is 3x. Correct. Got it. Great answer. <laughs> Amazing. So that's the difference uh, between what uh, makes you wake up every day yeah, exactly. with energy to work on this and at the same time the real numbers so you need to pay the bills you need to stay in game and that's the kpi <laughs> yeah, exactly. very good point and we come to the end of the show with one of our most favorite uh, questions of the show which is if you had the opportunity to meet chris yourself chris wade mm. uh, 20 uh, years ago uh, or even at the beginning of Isomer, I, I will let you decide. Uh, what advice would you offer yourself? Mm. Well, 
probably be calmer. Um, you know, um, probably, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate in everything I do. And different people have different uh, cadences. Some people like to work all the time. Some people like to have a more balanced uh, work life. Um, I've always been very hard on people that, that, that don't work at the same cadence that I did, probably be more forgiving and more understanding um, about that would be um, quite a, a useful thing um, to uh, have done. Um, and I think, you know, um, there's always this big balance when you're an entrepreneur becoming a investor, either as a VC or as a fund of funds like we are. And this is the balance between action and reflection. And action is about, I've heard enough. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get on with it. We're going to move forward because we can't wait any longer versus actually reflection and saying, well, we don't really know enough. We know some things. And it's tempting to make a decision. But, you know, in the investments that we make, we have relationships for 10, 12 years. I think we should be slightly more reflective and more thinking uh, for slightly longer. And that balance is, is, is a, really, a really interesting topic that we struggle with. And I think if I went back and met myself um, uh, even five years ago, um, I would be saying to myself, uh, have that question. I, I'm pretty sure I'd know this. I'd come down the same way, but I would appreciate uh, a little bit more the fact there is this question between instantaneous, impetuous, perhaps impetuous, or just damn entrepreneurial decision making um, versus, you know, a, a reflection um, of 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 the options, and you know, there there are. 600 VCs in, in Europe. We chose 23. Incredible. <laughs> so we can't wait to keep uh, seeing you strengthen your, les your legacy and creating uh, European winners. And uh, we can't wait to have you back on the show to, to talk about more stories and more lessons wow. of the scaling up journey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris, again. Super. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it a lot. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And to our community, thank you so much for being so loyal to keep with us. And as you know, please feel free to reach out to Mike at skillupvalley.com and let us know what are the next guests, what are the next topics that would be really useful to you because we want to help you to grow from 2 to 100 million uh, ARR without drama and without too much stress and improving your odds to win. You can follow the podcast uh, in every channel, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can watch the video. You can watch, you can listen to the audio. That's your choice. Please tell us how can we serve you the best and see you next time. Thanks for joining.